Chase Minifield, Dom Joseph, and Max Millian discuss life lessons they've learned as young entrepreneurs in the business world. Join them as they debate current events, business topics, and enjoy a few laughs with their weekly guests. And now for today's show. What up, what up, here we are with another episode of the TPC Podcast. I'm your host, Max Millian, coming to you live from Detroit, Michigan today. Dom Joe is on the line. What up, Dom Joe? What's up, world? Coming to you live from none other than Philadelphia. You know what I'm saying? Eagles won, Roman lost, but all is well in Philly. You know, one thing about Dom Joe is the fact of, you know, he doesn't never allow for, you know, he, 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 means, he means like, I don't know how to put this, but, you know, before the game, it means the world to him. After the game, if they lose, he, he wipes it underneath the rug. You know what I'm Like, it didn't happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, we good. So, uh, it's amazing how Dom Joe flipped that. Because I know I'm the only person that really knows that about him. But before the game, hey, man, he'll, 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 uh, he'll cut his left leg off for the squad. After the game, after they take this L, hey, it is what it is. On to the next. Crazy. Hey, man, we got to run it back next week, man. Well, what can you do? You know what I'm saying? Learn from it. Run it back next week, man. You know what I'm saying? So, it is what, what can, it is. Hey, what can you do? Max Million has made it to the podcast on time today. What's good, Max? What's up, world? Happy Sunday, you know what I'm saying? On time. You know, that was a one-time mistake. I got my time set every Sunday, 9, baby. I'm ready to go. Ready to go, man. You know what I'm saying? And we have a special guest on the podcast. We're going to... We're gonna we're gonna tee this one up for Dom Joe. Dom Joe, can you can can you please introduce our guest? Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very very a, a very special guest. Somebody that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, one of my best friends from UVA. She does a lot. She's a very important person. Works for the governor of Virginia, and uh, I ain't gonna say too much about exactly what she does, but she works for the governor. And her name is Miriam Karad. Talk to the people. Hi, guys. Um, I appreciate that, Dom. You are also near and dear to my heart. It almost feels like we're back in college every time, especially with you three. Pretty, pretty special memories there. But um, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Happy to be on here. Well, of course. We appreciate you. So, Miriam, give everybody a little introduction into yourself. A little background. You don't have to take us too far, but just get us like uh, from like the basics. Where you were born and how you ended up to UVA. Can you give us those those first? Uh, I guess that's eighteen years. Can you give us that? Yeah. All right, go. Absolutely. So I was born in Morocco, about Morocco, North Africa, for anybody who's geographically challenged. Um, and I immigrated here when I was seven. Moved to Arlington. Shout out to Matt. <laughs> um, what up, uh, Yeah, there we go. Um, moved to Springfield in high school, high school years, and went to um, uh, high school in Springfield. Graduated um, and went to UVA. A little bit of background on how I got to UVA. I was a pretty big nerd, so I actually went on a college school visit with my older sister, who didn't end up going to UVA. Um, and I was probably in middle school at that point and got to UVA was like, this is where I wanted to go. And it was strange because I don't think like as an immigrant and a child of immigrants, you don't really know what college culture is 
verbatim. I think I just had a idea that I needed to go to college and do well because that's what my parents said, um, so to speak. But it was really interesting because uh, um, it was not what I expected when I got there. And that's probably something we'll talk about later on. But um, essentially, I decided I wanted to go there. I applied early, got in. It's the only school I applied to. Um, and so then I ended up there. And I like to say I met my people there because I did. <laughs> and um, But they're not typically who I think I expected to be at UVA. That's what's up. Then that's how I got to That's what's up. That's a, you know, quick. We've had some people jump on here and jump onto the podcast. Usually, Dom Jones mm-hmm. gets, and they just start, uh, you know, taking us from the beginning to the end before we even get like ten minutes into the podcast. You know what I'm saying? We gotta. <laughs> this is like this is like wine, right? You gotta sip that thing. So, uh, <laughs> <Here>. <laughs> uh, so, so <laughs> usually Dom Jones gets though, huh? Yeah, yeah. Usually uh-huh. Dom Jones Look gets this. Can't, can't wait to get on the podcast, and then next thing you know, it's diarrhea at the mouth. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, diarrhea at the mouth. What? But, um, we love all our guests, man. It's been great. So, um, man, what did you study at UVA? Did you say that? One? No, you didn't say that. So, yeah. So, it was a small major, but a, uh, a particular major. It's political philosophy, policy, and law. And so, it was kind of like the, the, taking poli-sci, like political science and theory together. And um, it was really kind of like a practical matter. And a fun fact is when we were graduating in 2011, it was right around the Arab Spring. So I was crazy and decided on a major that made me write a thesis. Why a 50-page paper? I don't know. Um, So I ended up like writing about um, Islam and democracy. So that's what I studied. And so it kind of takes me to today, I work in politics. Yeah, I was going to say that because that's, that's, we rarely find that these days that people end up in fields that they study in. Like, Dom, how many, or Dom or Max, how many people you know that ended up in the fields that they studied in that's not like, you know what I'm saying, uh, medicine and law? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I would medicine. say I knew. <laughs> I know a lot only because a lot of the kids I met, look, I'm for the only major that I met kids in at UVA was who went to the uh, comp school. Do something yeah. in commerce is so broad, but that's the only like school that I know anywhere in the major. Everyone in the arts and science, I don't think I know one person if that that is in the major they study for arts and science. Real, yeah. Well, it wasn't like I actually this is my first job in politics, and we, oh. we've been out of college for how many years? So I like I worked for a big company. I worked at Exxon Mobil for a number of years. I worked for a nonprofit and hopped around different things. But, yeah, this is not the first time I've worked in what I'm actually doing. Awesome. What so, so what did you do before this? Let's take it through that. How did you – once you got out of school, why didn't you go right into something that was in your field of major? Yeah. So I – right after school, I didn't have a job because I don't think I really understood networking, <laughs> to be honest, and just didn't do it all. Um, and didn't have a job but kind of had some temporary jobs. And which led to, like, I just did, worked for a temp agency as I was trying to figure it out because I thought I wanted to go to law school and ended up working for a defense contractor. Um, that was interesting, but I didn't really, it was like in her and it was one of those, you know, defense contractors that had big contracts with the government. And it was just interesting, but it was not what I wanted to do. Um, and then I started looking for other stuff and got a job at ExxonMobil that used to be in um, their, like their uh, D.C. Uh, headquarters in Fairfax. And I worked on their um, 
research and technology team is like is kind of a contract person. So I worked on contracts and really just did a lot of legal stuff, like a, almost like a paralegal. Um, and then I actually uh, realized I hated that and didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, but I really liked the kind of work we were doing. Energy was interesting. I got introduced to like green infrastructure and what that means. Climate change, what we start thinking about from this oil company. And like, you know, oh, they're, they're thinking as a business. And that was a really valuable lesson because everything we did and all the trainings we did were just top down. Like I wasn't important, but I was getting trainings that the VP was getting because they wanted safety and like uh, green infrastructure to be something that the company was known for. So things like that was really interesting. But um, but I also like the moment I found out that they were moving to Houston, I kind of started to start thinking of a different plan because I didn't want to move to Houston. Um, and when they moved, I actually you guys. Well, Dom definitely knows her. I think you guys definitely know her as well. But um, a dear friend of mine, uh, Charlene Ken of Quiera, um, worked as a director of membership for a nonprofit called the um, American Thyroid Association. So I was like, again, kind of just trying to figure out what I'm doing. And she had an opening on her team um, that was kind of like buying me a year or whatnot. And I met with her executive director and I was like, this is great. Cause I, you know, using my skills with people and just organization wise, I'd never worked for a nonprofit or whatnot. So I was like, this will be a good experience. And we kind of, you know, made the contract slash agreement that I would work there for a year as I was transitioning to the next thing. Um, so I did that. And then I moved to Richmond, moved to Richmond, all the jobs. This is kind of like the crazy part. And used one of my mentors, Tony Fairchild, who is just incredible and went to Darden actually. Um, and I and my a couple of my friends tutored her daughter um, in high in while I was in college and her husband is um, a Darden professor. And through that network they helped me meet with a lot of people and we, like she introduced me to what is called like informational interviews. And I didn't know what that went. I was like, wait, what does that even mean? And it's the idea that you just kind of go and meet with people and ask them what they do, ask them, you know, questions. And the the idea is that you there's less pressure because you're not asking for a job necessarily. You're just kind of meeting um, them and learning about them, leaving your resume. And one day they may or may not call you. And that's exactly what happened. I met with a myriad of different people in the last governor's office and um, nothing happened for a while and then um, I got a call a few months later um, a job had opened and they wanted to know if I wanted to interview and so started working for the last governor under the secretary of natural resources which is who works on environmental historical and uh, uh, resilience issues on um, for the state and then got asked to stay on so got asked to stay on with the governor's in transition team. So between uh, two governors, there's like a team that helps in transition. And I worked on the inauguration, which was really cool. Um, and then he um, appoint, he asked me to stay and he appointed me to a policy position in his office under natural resources. So right now I do a lot of the work on, like it's basically policy and communication and communicating outwards what we do as far as climate change, conservation and conservation efforts really everything from thinking about like our water quality to um 
you know, the the effects that will happen as sea level rise and all that in 10 years. And so it's, it's kind of like a learning curve for me, but that's, it's de- and a lot of it's on clean energy too, right? And it, you try to start thinking about it as the jobs of today as opposed to jobs of the future. Because everyone's kind of moving towards there, but it's not really there yet. So um, I'm in an exciting space. I always kind of didn't envision myself doing this particular work, but it's interesting that I worked for ExxonMobil and now I'm doing stuff on energy. So interesting. Quick question. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Yeah. Is the government, like getting hired by the government or government officials, is that kind of like the coaches in the NFL and NBA where they hire all day, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, like it's kind of like a yeah. tree. It's like a tree of people, and they just keep on going from different positions, different trees, and you have like, all right, like these are my people type situation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. One of that first experience I had, like, with the government contractor, a lot of the people that were working in that company used to work in government or – we're like friends with somebody. It's all, it's very, it's very much that. Interesting. So for all of us that don't know, and we feel like the government is like a secret little thing, right? You know, we don't mm-hmm. know what happens on the inside. What is a day-to-day, what is a typical day like for Marion? So my, I'm, so I'm a little bit, everybody in my office is unique in the sense that we have four years to get our job done. It's like a fire drill all the time. I don't know what the day is going to, um, where the day is going to take me. Hold on, tell me. Really you, kind got, of a, you got four years to finish a job? Yeah. I know mean, it's kind of crazy, but like essentially, I mean, it's, it's more complicated than that. But the governor can only serve four years and not consecutive. So he can only serve four years and he has to sit out four years if he wants to be governor again. And so everybody in our office has all of these goals and they want to do them in four years. So it's the typical day can be, I mean, it can be everything for me, just taking meetings all day with different organizations that want us to hear them out um, during sessions. So during the jump, like when people, when, when it's our time to make bill, to make laws in Virginia. So that looks different in every state, but in Virginia, we have like a part-time legislature. So believe it or not, they only get paid like $18,000 to do that. Um, and this, they come in for a couple months, make the laws. And so for those months, sometimes it, may, it means me going to like these delegates and senators and explaining uh, bills or talking to them about what we're trying to push or what we're trying, you know, what position we need them to be on, that kind of good stuff, um, and explaining different things. And then sometimes it's really just kind of sitting down and uh, writing a policy or writing kind of a bill, which I've been doing a lot lately as we get ready for um, that and kind of getting ready for budget season. So figuring out where our money's going and all that. So it, it means a lot of different things. Um, you make a point about the fact that like government seems like such a different world. And it was to me too. And I think it still is on some level. And I don't think we do a good job of being transparent. Um, and that's on purpose, right? Like people guard that because of power. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can look very different. I have the pleasure of working in the governor's office and like the privilege of doing so. So I feel like I, I mean, it's, it's very like crazy and intense and there's a lot of way, like, you know, ways in which it gets, it's exciting and then also stressful. And there's also people that work in our agencies. That's like our career government people. They don't have as much, 
uh, pressure. And I think sometimes their life is a little bit more like they know what they're doing. They're working on um, regulations so they're making sure your drinking water is safe by going, you know, making sure there's teams to test it, the health department, that stuff. So, like, with something that is so far out in the future, um, mm-hmm. or, like, task, a task, like, you have a large task, you don't have, like, a little task, do y'all still take yeah. the approach of, like, um, small wins make big wins or small steps take long distances? Is that still the idea? And if that is the case, then how do you visibly see, like, okay, I'm moving forward? Are we moving forward, making progress on something that's so far down the line? I, mean, I think we try to be optimistic about it. Um, I think climate change is a humanitarian and, like, not just a humanitarian, but, like, an undeniably human, like, health issue, public health issue that we're doing a very job, very bad job of uh, addressing. It depends on who you ask. I think I will probably... I'll play party lines right now, but um, as a Democrat, I feel like there's so much more we can do, and we're excited about so many different things we can do, and um, we kind of have trouble with the other side of the aisle and our friends on the other side helping us have those little small wins. Um, Yeah, I think we, we are really excited about the small wins. Like, for instance, we just passed an executive order that's, uh, and I signed a contract with the biggest utility in Virginia to try to move towards our goals of going 30%, which doesn't sound, you know, you know, huge, but 30% renewable by 2025, which is actually pretty, a lofty goal because we don't have the infrastructure in place. Those little things where we sign this contract, that's a huge win. Um, Getting there, getting the utilities to start building wind, getting people to invest in solar. Those are small wins, and we like those, but it's like just like in a football game, I feel like you can have a great season, and maybe the wins add up, but at the end of the day, if we're not really kind of over 500 or something, like sometimes it it really doesn't, you know, you just don't move on. If you, you, then you kind of find yourself back in that, like, okay, it's another rebuilding year, as opposed to, you know, moving the needle a little bit further. Another rebuilding year. UVA football, we know all about that. Another rebuilding year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, and to, like, I'll ask you guys a question. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but, like, yeah, there sure. are things that affect your life every day, right? Like, you know, flooding and all these other things and even temperature. I don't know if you guys know what your own, I know you guys live in different areas, what your own cities or states are doing or allowed to do, you know? I have no idea. No idea. Yeah, I definitely yeah. don't. No idea. A lot yeah, we don't do a good job of telling you. The thing is, it's not a problem until it's a problem. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how I see those type of situations. Like, and being in those positions is like, we don't know until we know. And, it's only, and we yeah. don't know it's a big issue. You know what I'm saying? It's too late. So hopefully somebody's yeah. working on it now. <laughs> Yeah, I know. There's definitely people working on it. And there's like a huge equity piece that we're really trying to focus on because just like, you know, most people have forgotten about Katrina. One of the big things for me personally, like something that I'm super passionate about and where I draw my energy from is I think I just automatically think about who is going to get most affected, usually a minority, and it's usually underprivileged. Um, And I think when we think about those things, that this is where I think 
I'm really impressed by where we're going, especially in Virginia, is that we're thinking about that first. If we're going to, like, move a community because of sea level rise or whatnot, like, we need to make that important for them. Um, but anyways, it's a lot of equity pieces, right? Like, how can we give, um, how can we give, and I, I'm not going to lie, like, a lot of these rooms that I'm sitting in, we're trying to find climate change uh, answers to are white. Like, we don't, there's not a lot of diversity there. Um, and so there's also, like, not a lot of voices that need to be at the table. All right. So, Miriam, I got two questions. Okay. Is this, is this, has the climate change uh, problem hit crisis mode yet? And how do you know that it's climate change is not just like part of the natural cycle? Oh, great question. Uh, Don't give them those type of kudos. Yes. Don't give them those type of kudos. Yeah, just, just, just answer. Yeah. He's asking that's a good, good question. Now he's patting himself on the back. I, know, I, just, I regret it every time. Now I regret it every time. I'm like, damn it, did I just give him a compliment? Um, my bad. My bad. Um, okay. Anyways, yeah. So I think it actually has moved way past uh, crisis mode. And just answer your second question. I know it's not part of that because if you look at the um, the science around it, and it is very specific science that even though people have we have climate change deniers, um, still not believing the science, but the temperature has been changed because of how fast we're building, uh, burning fossil fuel, coal, and all of these different ways in which we're warming the planet. So it is, it can, it, we have accelerated the natural cycle. And you see that in forest fires being, way, you know, and I know it kind of like is the apocalyptic idea, but um, it's really not, it's not supposed to happen this fast. Um, and it's also, you can tell by the fact that we're sinking because of, uh, the warming of glaciers and all this other stuff. It's not necessarily just because like, this is the natural cycle. Got you. So we're using too much gas and it's causing the earth to warm up. I mean, yeah, we're burning. I mean, everything is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's essentially it, whether it's like natural gas or something else, yeah. This might be a dumb question, but uh, besides, like, all the negative effects, like melting glaciers and things like that, don't humans want to, want to be warmer? I mean, I do. I was born in the continent where I like warmth, so I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I always, like, I don't like necessarily cold weather, but it's not even about that. It's really about, like, so I'll tell you what, the only like positive thing I see in terms of like climate change is the opportunity to like think of cool and amazing and inclusive ways to solve the problem. I mean, I don't know how many people, it's not sexy, right? It's not really like a sexy thing to think about. So most people just aren't really, they're like, okay, well, someone's dealing with it, hopefully. Yeah, so I think Chase is right. It's not a problem until it's a problem. But like, it's not a problem until it's like a personal problem. And it's not a personal yeah. problem for a lot of people. Or they don't realize that it's a personal problem yet. Yeah, and then Katrina happens, and yeah. 
<laughs> if Katrina happened, that was smooth. That's basically, basically the issue. <laughs> the conclusion is it's inevitable that it's going to happen, and when it happens, we're not going to be proactive. We're going to be reactive, and it's not like nothing yeah. we can do to change our minds to be proactive. Like, we're just going to be reactive, and we're going to take it on the chin. Like, we're going to touch the stove again, and we're going to get burned, and then we're going to be like, ooh, that was hot. And then we're going to go, like, a couple more years, 10 more years, decades, whatever, and we're going to be like, all right, we done forgot about, remember that time we burned our hand, but my hand feels pretty good now, and then it's going to burn again. That's pretty much a cycle, right? Yeah, but maybe hopefully mm-hmm. we figure out how to build, like, how to create a glove, you know, type thing, so that there's, a, there's something to absorb some of it. I mean, I, I again, I'm probably just professionally always thinking about equity, but I think, like, how it hurts somebody who lives in who like who lives in a different bracket always matters, you know? Yeah. I just I don't know. The more money you have well, well, like, well, well, yeah, but, but then also, your question here. Hold on, Max. Let me get one more thing out. Then we're gonna give you your question. Uh, see, this is this is why I'm not gonna even go back to this. This is, this is why I'll be having a final question because y'all be taking everything before I can say anything. Go ahead, Chase. Go ahead. So this is like um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like um, you know, forget my question, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um. All right, Max, go ahead. Then I'm going to try to re the Yeah, you have to remember that. Recalibrate. Uh, <laughs> so, so, Miriam, my question is... Um, you forgot. Basically, you kind of touched on it. No, 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 quiet. You kind of touched on it with being in the different, you know, brackets, or just the income brackets. Um, you know, when you're rich, you can kind of afford to make the changes that might, you know, be a little bit more cumbersome on you that, you know, will help save the world. What about the 99% of people who can't make those changes? Is it on the 1% that can afford it to help everybody else? Or do you ever see the, you know, if you're telling me I'm sitting here worried about climate change and worried about do I have enough money to pay rent for my family this month, climate change is out the window for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. 100%. Yeah, I think so, it's up to the companies. I think it's up to the 1%. It's up to the people that have the privilege and the, like, I, and I really am probably more of a, um, I, yeah, that, that's exactly who I think is responsible for it. I don't think somebody, I don't think a single mom that is worried about um, whether or not she has enough money for rent and, you know, and food and all of that should be less important than climate change. Cause honestly, we need to put all those funds there to try to help with those programs. And I also don't think she needs to think about it or care about the fact that maybe her like apartment floods and because she's in a different income bracket and like no one cares as much about how that affects her and let's mold grow or whatever, because her landlord is like, whatever, this is, you know, not that important. She's never going to sue me. Those kind of things. I think the people that have the least amount or the most amount to lose should care the least amount and don't have as yeah, they have a stake. Maybe, like, don't, you know, maybe don't, like, just be, like, ruthless in polluting or whatnot. But I do think it's up to the people that has helped us get to that. Because, honestly, the only reason why, and this is probably very political at this point, but um, the people who have gotten us here are because of this mentality that we have in America to get bigger and get, like, more wealth at the very top, and it's not spread, uh, like, across. And, yeah, I think big companies need to start thinking about that and give parts of their budget towards that, especially oil 
um, and uh, utilities, and I think they do do that to a certain extent. Uh, maybe it's not always enough, but I do think that people like should invest in that. Um, I also, I will say though, that I think we need to figure out a way to get like black people to get minorities and other people invested in the energy space and invested in those. Cause if that is where the next like industry boom is, we don't want to leave them behind because this is exactly what happens every time. Like in any industry that takes off, we kind of don't do that legwork of being like, well, how do we invest and make sure that we have um, our communities invest in that? So long-winded answer to say, yeah, I don't think it's up to the little guy. So, go ahead, Tracy. Do you remember your question or no? I think so. I don't know <laughs> the same question that you just asked. But are we relying on the government too much as individuals? It depends on what kind of what party you're. I don't know. I don't think so. I think there's so much. I I don't know. I'm. And I say that. And I say that. Like I say that from the same mindset of the fact of like feeling like um, we're very like uh, as a society. I feel like we're just you know living aimlessly, doing everything from ourselves for ourselves from a point of view of like you know um, everything's good and we're like. here, we're here, but you know, it's kind of like as a child, like you just kind of like be aimlessly and expect yeah, your parents. from your parents, right? And it's kind of, I feel like that's kind of like how it goes. Like, I feel like the government will not put us in positions to be um, out here just face first. I feel like that's the kind of like um, mindset most of society has is that like, well, if the air, the weather is not changing and we're the cause of it, surely it's not too bad because else they would change it, right? Like, I feel like that's the type of thought process we have. Do you think that we're relying on the government too much and we need to take more control and have more self-education? Or what's your thought process on that? And I want to hear Max and Dominic's thought process on that as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you all think about that because I I don't know. I think that there's so much great opportunity. I think a few things come to mind. I want good people in government, like better people. Uh, like I want really good people, innovative ideas. It is a very guarded world. Like it's who you know. Um, sometimes I'm still like, I still have imposter syndrome and think like, do I belong here? And then I'm like, yes, I do. Cause all of you kind of got here somewhere. So I think it's only as good as the people in it. Um, I don't, I don't know if we're providing us. We don't invest enough in programs, but I think it takes the whole village. Um, I'd be interested to see what you guys think because I think that we do uh, in government, and I don't think this is the only career I ever want. I don't, I don't necessarily want to be like a government uh, career person because I see the opportunities in kind of like bridging a lot of the worlds, and I think that's where change starts to happen. I think anytime you just, it's like kind of flying the coop, right? You mentioned your parents. I mean, you still need your parents right now to be a good person for the most part. If you have the, uh, you know, privilege or if you um, are lucky enough to still have them around or whatever, they were around in some sort of fashion to help shape your life. They're forever going to be part of the fabric. I don't, I think that relationship changes over time. I don't know if like, I think it just has to change with what issue we're talking about. 
I honestly don't know because culturally, I think there's people that think the government's too involved, and then people think that they're not involved enough. Um, and frankly, I want like I'll just be very blunt. I don't want the government to tell me what to do about my reproductive rights, but I would like them to help. <laughs> like, but I, you know, I don't want them to be involved in that, but I do want them to help me or help the world stay like stay safe and try to figure out what we're doing with climate change and um, you know promote things at a bigger level that I don't want to know about. Um, so I don't I don't know. I just think that it has to be like an ever changing, and my thought process goes back and forth because I have very good days that are very rewarding, and I think this is so great. We're doing such good work. And then I have some days where I'm like, holy crap, what are we doing? Like, you know, it can be very demoralizing. And then you, like, look at the federal government and you're like, what is this mess? So I don't know. I think, you know, it is a testament to how great America can really – I hate saying that now. I'm like, oh, God, it just means something. But how, like, wonderful America can be in so many ways, but then we still have so many ways that we are just dysfunctional. So I think – Instead of figure out the balance, I don't. I think this is why they call it the like great democratic experience or experiment because it's still an experiment. And I'll kind of end on that and maybe send it to Max. Well, first of all, we apologize for Max breathing in his mic like he's freaking eight hundred pounds. Jesus Christ! Nah, I'm killing it. You I don't know. Some days they tell me they can't hear me. Some days they tell me I can't hear me. Other days they tell me I can't hear me. You sure that's me? Yeah, we positive. 100%. I'm on mute. Yeah, I was just on mute, so. Mm. Wow. My bad. I'm going to tell you. My bad. Thank you for kicking over to me, Listen, Max, you want to go first? Yeah. Mayor kicked it over to me, first of all, so please wait your turn. Um, so he found out you're saying, so I believe that we're too reliant on the government only because the government is so corrupt and not corrupt like, oh, conspiracy theory, corrupt is that it's been proven that the government's run by big business. So whenever there's a vote on a new bill or a new law, it's shown that whatever the corporations and the lobbyists want will always win no matter what the, so it's just. It, it, it just is what it is, and um, we're too reliant on the government in that sense. That because what the corp- the corporations don't have the good of the people in you know or the will of the people in, in their mindset of what they what they should do. So when the corporations are ruling the government, we're too reliant on the government in that sense. But I do believe that as people, just as human beings, we're going to claw to the top, just kind of like crabs. So without the government, it would just be chaos. So while we do need the government, I see the government's corrupt. I think the government should be more for the people, though, you know, the vote of the people should hold more weight and just not the vote of money. But that's capitalism. Money talks, money wins. When you got hundreds of millions of dollars being pumped into the government, you know, and they're like, ah, oh, are we going to go with hundred million dollars or are we going to go with a hundred million people? They're going to go with a hundred million dollars. And, and that's how it is. So, uh, you know, I think it's a problem. And that's one of the reasons why we have a huge deficit in the bills. You know, there's a lot of government funded programs that are just in shambles. It was complained. It's just, you know, if there needs to be a change, but I don't think, you know, people say, oh, we don't need the government. The government's too involved. I don't know if they're necessarily too involved. I just think that, you know, if they had this amount of involvement, but with, we're backed by, you know, what the people actually voted for, what the people wanted, I don't think it would be yeah. so much of an issue. So, 
Um, Max, you bring up a good point. I don't know if you guys know this, but according to the Supreme Court, and, uh, you know, kind of bring it, it's been upheld, um, companies are actually seen as individuals slash persons in the eyes of the law, which speaks volumes about how we think about businesses in America. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't know that. That's good to know. I didn't know that at all, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's like an antitrust law. So it kind of started with railroads, but really it's like when, you, when you're doing as a business, you are an individual and you have all the rights of a person as written in the Bill of Rights. And I kind of That's crazy. That. <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, it can yeah. be a good thing if you use it to your advantage, but if you're evil, you can kind of use it to your yeah. advantage. Which most people are. Yeah, just put that in your back pocket in case you need something for y'all's businesses, you know? <laughs> right. So, yeah. My thing is, um, ideally, I would like to try to find a balance because I know people that take advantage of the government too much. You know what I'm saying? And then I know people that, you know, it's like if the, if the government doesn't help them, then who is? You know what I'm saying? And I know people that have a lot, a lot of money that donate their money to a very, very expensive private school who's already getting a lot of funding, you know what I'm saying, from somewhere. And, you know, that, that private school is already set. But the inner city schools, who's going to fund them if the government doesn't fund them? You know what I'm saying? So, and right. I, like, I agree with what Max saying about, um, you know, corruption in the government and me not being too – like, I'm a boots-on-the-ground kind of guy, so I try not to stay too political – and I just sum it up by saying, like, I'm very big on high school and elementary education because I feel like it starts there. And um, it's just funny how now that I'm grown up, all the kids that I grew up with and I see where they go, and I see kids that are developers and they have their strings on what's going on in the city, and they're using it for their personal interest because of education that they had, you know, coming up through their childhood years. Now, if we could afford that same, if we could get Malik that same education who's from the project, you know what I'm saying? Lord knows what can happen, you know what I'm saying? So my big thing is I'm just I'm just real big into helping inner cities and, and childhood education, and I think the government could do more that way. And I think even state spirit could take it, uh, at least PA could take it a little more seriously. So Yeah. I mean, that's and. And Chase, like you mentioned kind of a little bit of this before, but I think what we don't know, too, is how, like, important the local governments are. We forget that. Like, like school boards and all that. Again, not as sexy, but, like, also make really big decisions that affect your kids and affect – and, you know, anybody can go to school. You don't have to have kids to go to a school board meeting and be like, this is messed up. Like, we shouldn't have school debt or school lunch debt, things like that. And to Dom's point about this kind of, I think the opportunity is, I, I do think that if, if we get a little bit more involved, and I mean, I don't know, I preach it, and I think it's, I, it's not for me, but, like, more people need to get involved in the, like, local government, and I think that will kind of be better. And by more people, I mean more of our people, honestly, because I don't think that happens and I think if you look and you see like a bunch of pretty privileged because they're prestigious positions or whatnot pretty like you know 
and it's usually, I'll just speak about Virginia because that's kind of what I know and what I see. If it's a, even in Fairfax County, if it's a majority white, older male, like school board, how, like in very diverse areas, you're like, how does that happen? That still happens every day. So, Mary, Mary, a quick question on that. Would our, I mean, you may not be able to, I mean, I know you work for the governor, but does the governor really answer? you know, calls, emails, requests from, I don't even want to say about no doubt, I'm just saying lower income people, to be honest, I don't even think it's a, it's a color thing. If you're giving them money, they're usually more inclined to listen to you, but if you're somebody who, you know, is just low income, I just feel like it's, it's a little bit harder to get a hold of them. And that's speaking yeah. from someone who's tried to get a hold of his governor on, on an issue or two in the past. It, uh, it doesn't, it seems like it falls on deaf ears or you get a secretary and, You'll get it. What did you try to get back. an answer on? Uh, this is this is a, a while back. They wouldn't let me do a development in a certain part of Fairfax, and it was I can't remember what they mentioned, but you know I was trying to get a hold of the governor to see why this would be an issue, and they just kept pushing me off until they said. I, like, I wonder oh, if I it was off. like an. I wonder if it was like an environmental thing, and obviously sometimes it's not. I'd be curious, off air. But um, no, I think so. Uh, we have we have a whole office dedicated to that. I'm not surprised that you didn't get an answer because it's been a fairly like high volume area. But I know for my area, anybody that like gets tagged as asking environmental or historical questions goes like straight to us and I, we try to answer it if we're being very honest no the governor doesn't see every single piece of mail coming to his office but he has people for that so it's it, it's hard to hear when people are like that's not happening because that's like on us and that's a responsibility that his office has um and sometimes it's like purposefully you know answered because but no the idea is that there are people for that and that we answer every piece of mail that comes or every inquiry um, on some level. One of the coolest things that happened not too long ago was that there was a Moroccan woman who was like, I just want someone to speak French. I'm Moroccan. And they were like, oh, we have a Moroccan. And they just like literally sent her to me. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I mean, she had like her, you know, her issue was just kind of figuring out some social services stuff. But um, we have a very, like we answer it. So, like people get surprised when like, I mean, He's answered some. It depends. Like, you know, we don't get in the habit of him answering phones. But, the, I mean, I know the idea is, and I like to think that we pride ourselves on that. But maybe it's not happening. That's good to know. I got you. So, what would you say? Say, you know, they say if you're not happy with the way things are, you know, email your governor or whatever. What would be the best way to not even make change, but, you know, get something through to where to where it's being heard. Like, say you're not happy with, you know, how housing development's going or, or something like that in your district. Yeah. You know, what's the best yeah. way? Because they always say, you know, email your governor, email your governor, make change. What, what will be the best way? I think you start small. I think you should email him. So it's like we keep a list. I get a report every, every week that says, like, these are the issues that people have called about. Um, and it's like, hey, one person called about this to, you know, 15,000 people called about this. So there's that. But I think you, um, small, I think one of the most underused uh, resources is your representatives. And you can just go on who's my representative.com and find that out. 
and um, they should they represent you. They work for you. They should they have the governor's ear. They can just pick up the phone and call him. So they should be able to kind of relay your questions. But I also say that was like you kind of have to know the field and like so talk to as many people. If you know somebody that's like in the governor's office or whatever, great. Like call them and ask them who. To, like we need to use some of these resources that I think have been used for centuries and people of color just like don't know. Um, and I didn't know, like, for instance, I like didn't even know I, I should probably go to office hours and talk to my professor unless I was in trouble. Uh, like seriously, didn't even know that. Um, or didn't think about that. Um, so I would say like, start small, go to your representatives and ask them and go to them like often and their offices should be open. Um, if it's like a matter of like a school board issue, I know that, not everybody can show up to a meeting, right? So it's like, I don't know, use as many resources as you can. Um, be honest about what you can and can't do. So if like, hey, like I work nine to five and that's when that meeting is and I can't take off, but I need someone to represent me there, you should ask your representative to represent you there because that's their job. Um, it's putting a lot on them, but it's also like that who has a voice for you. I don't think we give... Uh, that responsibility i think we let them we let them represent like a huge area and kind of understand it's diverse but um that's you know the best way is kind of like try to get in and i will say this and i don't know if this is like a good thing politically to say but um i probably have i'm more inclined to help somebody because I've like either connected or heard them like twice or three times or whatnot. And I want to help them and you try. Sometimes you can't help completely, but to be honest, like if I, if I recognize it, I'm like, Oh wait, we need to help this person. And I'm always like that. I think our whole office is like that. I, you know, I don't know if it always works, but I think because we don't, we haven't always used the system and it's been, as we mentioned, like reactive rather than, um, proactive I think that it hasn't been successful for us but we just I think we just need to kind of touch as many points as possible and it's our job to kind of go out there and ask you guys what we need to do big big real big thanks um y'all boys got anything else before I get into this topic of this and like y'all uh, dang we got another topic I mean shoot uh nah get into the topic of the day man we can talk about <laughs> politics all day yeah, I know it's kind of not the most. Yeah, because I wanted to talk about. I, I, mean, I was going to bring up another topic, but I mean, uh, another thing about politics and government, but I ain't going to get into. Yeah, it. Yeah, go. Talk about EVA. I was going to talk about guns. I was going to talk about starving entrepreneurship oh. and using like, um, like putting more support behind the entrepreneurship community, the startup community, yeah. and things of that nature to grow the city's economy. Um, instead yeah. of just relying on big business. So um, mm-hmm. that's a little story. But a couple of small cities I know that are definitely focusing on the small business instead of the big business in hopes of the small business being acquired by the big business and bringing more jobs to the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. a typical example is a company in Birmingham, Alabama called Shipped, where they were bought by Target for $550 million. Um, they negotiated them to stay in Birmingham, keep jobs there, and things of that nature. Now they got their sign and logo on the on the top of the city, like a Chase Bank or an AT and T, and things of that nature. And it's all homegrown, 
all, all him employees, things of that nature. So, um, and plus 550 million has been pushed into the economy. So, I think that's an opportunity that a lot of, that a lot of cities are missing out on specifically. Uh, it shouldn't be that hard for Mac Million and Dom Jones to, to get uh, contracts and get some support by the by the by the by the government. You know what I'm saying? That's a young black businessman. Um, any some minority spin. If you're listening, if you listen, listen to me. They need some minority spin. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I about that. Yeah, and they need some minority spin right there. We better uh, take care of the take care of the people that's in the city, hire people in the city. So um, that's what that's another story for another day. So let me get into my uh, real topic of the day, which I heard today at the conference that I was at. Um, we're gonna cut this out a little bit. And so we got the conferences for thirty under thirty. Yeah, four thirty under thirty. Yeah, so it's cool. It's been a lot of things. I've learned a lot, man. I met a lot of people up here. Um, getting you know, getting some good treatment as far as you know, being on the list this year. It's crazy because last year I wasn't. You know, I was just here exhibiting, and this year, um, I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the private lounge. You know, so it's a, a cool deal. Um, I'm trying to find what what this lady said to the panel. But I was really um, interested in what she was saying. And I think it was the fact that she said, like, people treat you like they perceive you. People treat you, treat you like they perceive you. And I think she was talking about the fact of um, in business, it was women, it was a women's panel, and being strong in a man's environment. Um, and I wanted to get your guys' opinion on Women in the business environment, and the I from from a male perspective, Dom Joe, and uh, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit, and Max, but also from Mary's perspective of how important is your the perception, and how do men, you know, um, have better perceptions, I guess, and and how do we how how do we continue to fight those boundaries of, you know. Um, Allowing your work to speak for itself, if that makes sense. Allowing your work to speak for itself, <laughs> not being judged off of um, anything you've done prior to, you know, this day and time, this day and time, this day and age, the task at the hand. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and let, uh, I already know where Don stands on this. He's an easy answer. But Don can go first. And, yeah, you know, I'm, pa- I'm passionate about this, so, you know what I mean? But, you know. <laughs> Do you do you believe Don? Do you believe that? Do you think that uh, people are going to treat you like they perceive you? And if that's the case, uh, get them to perceive you differently. Um, I think you just gotta you gotta prove it either through credibility and your quality of work. And I do think that um, people perceive you like that. People treat you how they perceive you. Um, as far as women and business go. Uh, I'm very passionate about it because I see it every day in the in the field that I work in at the engineering firm, and it sometimes and I would say not not often, but enough times it can get into women getting overlooked can get in the way of a job because a woman engineer or architect will be better than the male architect 
but they never take her freaking advice. You know what I'm saying? So then something winds up being messed up and there's a change on and then the job gets pushed back when if they just listened to old Carla in the first place, we'd be, we'd be on schedule. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's, I, I just think that, uh, like, I really don't have an answer for that. Why guys, like, in something like, in something that has to do with something like engineering that's not athletic or like, you know, there's no macho-ness to it. Like, you can't beat me in a fight. You can't run faster than me. I don't understand how your pride can get involved when she's making you money. You know what I'm saying? But I've seen it a lot of times where women get stuck in, like, the generic salesperson role or answering the phone, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. just because they're a woman. Um, and then uh, I also see what women have to deal with, too, guys kind of, like, flirting with them and all that stuff. And, and, I don't know. I just think being a woman in business, you definitely have to find a balance. Because one thing I don't like either is the woman that's like overly um, overcompensates and like overly aggressive and for and a B word for the lack of a better word. But um, so I think it's definitely tough. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it on the air. But um, I think it's 2019. You can't be calling women B words down. 2019. You can't be calling women B words no more, bro. You mean bossy, right? Bossy? And, and the, question, exactly. the question would be, is it yeah, yeah, yeah. overly bossy? Yeah, 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 overly bossy. Overly bossy. Then would you just... Typically, so would you just... Would you switch to the B word? And I don't mean boss. If she's aggressive, period. Or you... Because if, if that's how you... Would a guy... Can a guy be a B word? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But, so, um... But, so, like, all right. So I got this... I know one girl, she's from New York, and she's aggressive, and she's really in your face, but she's more matter-of-fact. So it's more like, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm just not going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it. That's that. Like, why would you do that? You know what I'm saying? But then you'll have, like, another person that, like, that'll be like, hey, we need this, 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 and this, and this way, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hold up. But so-and-so didn't say he wanted it this way. Yeah, but I'm saying it like this. I'll be the one handed it to him. I'm like, and I'm in a unique position where I where I could actually go above her head. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, listen, you don't need to do all this, but she's, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like she's just being overly bossy in that situation. But I think it's tough just finding a balance as a woman. You know what I'm saying, ma'am? I would like you to elaborate because you are a woman. So let's hear from Max first because I feel like I just want to hear what the men have to say right now. Um, I think it's tough to find a balance only because I understand the having to go, I guess, above what you normally are like when you're looked down upon. And, you know, I'm not trying to get crazy for the floor stuff like that, but, you know, just being a minority in general, African-American in business, that was one of the reasons why I left, to be honest, because, I mean, for lack of better terms, sometimes you get tired of dancing for Charlie. Um, you know, you got to act a certain way that may not be you and it's like, do I want to, uh, there were times where it's like, do I care about my pride enough to leave my job? Or, you know, I, I've heard of multiple times, oh man, you actually are pretty smart. Man, when uh when I heard you on the phone and I met you, I thought you were going to be a small little white guy. Uh, I've heard it all. And, and you know, at some point, she's like, hey, is this, you know, do I want this? She's like, hey, do I want to, you know, protect my pride right now or do I want to keep my job? And you have to choose between that. 
that's not something I yeah. want to do in business for. And then another thing is, you know, I was always, you know, five to ten minutes early for everything. And, you know, I was like, one of my old bosses was like, man, you're, you're always early. What is it? And I was like, yeah, man, you know, just with playing football in college, you know, if you're on time, you're late, blah, 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 game that feel. But really, it was like, look, I know you guys think colored people are late on time. So, you know, I got to go on the other end and always be early just so, you know, the one time late, they're like, oh, well, you know, there they go, always being late. So I get the, you know, the going over of what you normally, how you normally would act, because you're kind of happy sometimes, but it, it can come off as being a little strong. And in women's case, it's just kind of unfortunate. They come off as being, oh, I think it's not. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't know what you're about to say there. What are you about to say there? We have to get to a little bit. <laughs> Look, I, I'm just being honest. Hey, so you hear that? I mean... But honestly, gonna get you in the, yeah. on the couch. And honestly, gonna get you on the couch next when this podcast comes out. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might. Well, it just might. I got a guest room. I appreciate the honesty. Um, so I'll just I'll start with a quick story. Some of the very first meetings I went to, like while working at Exxon Mobil, big company, mostly male at that level. And most of their administrative staff is women, usually white women, but it can be, you know, diverse. There were several times where I'd walk into a meeting and an older gentleman or one of the, my colleagues would ask me if I could go get them coffee or if I would, like, and I'm like, I'm not your assistant. I'm good. And, and that's a whole, like, different kind of culture thing. But I saw some example of what has happened, like, several times. I'll add to that with an experience I had. So, so that's just as a woman and a young woman, they just automatically like assume for some reason um, that we're in an admin position. And I've been in several of those and kind of pigeonholed there. Um, so that goes to your you know, perception point, but also twofold being a woman and a person of color. Um, I used to straighten my hair a lot, a lot all the time and at, like a certain I don't know at some point in a meeting someone turned to me and said I like when you wear your hair like that it looks so much more professional I had since never straightened my hair since then maybe like then <laughs> but and that was like very hard to the core and I can talk about it a lot easily right now but I think there's so many different ways that this kind of perception point of view plays in the workplace um I think also I've had a hard time like expressing myself sternly because I don't want to be a B word um, because people don't think I'm bossy. They'll just think I'm being just like emotional. And that's hard because I'm emotional about it. That's because I'm passionate and men can get away with it a little bit differently. Um, I don't know. I think we're, it's a working progress. I typically work towards my goals with integrity and trying to, do things twofold and always thinking about like what other people are thinking. And that's because like, that's how women tend to be. Men tend to be, and I don't, I'm just like, it's not scientific, but men and you know, like John's my best friend. Like I kind of, it's just really funny the way he deals with things. And sometimes the way I deal with things, even though he can be like super passionate about something, sometimes it's a matter of fact. And for me, I sometimes feel it first, but I also have, um, wonderful girlfriends and like very powerful women who like are also exactly the way he is. And so I think it's like us breaking that norm of thinking like women are this way, men are that way. Um, and also just kind of 
yeah, I think it's hard. Perceptions are really hard. Like, yeah, Max is right. People are literally asking him why he's on time because they think we're always early, and they do. And that's like that's just like a that's a fact. It's not because, and they can try to go around it. And I think we just have to be very honest and being like. And it sucks because you still, I don't think in this generation we're fixing it. I think we're getting, it's progress, but it can be really kind of jarring. I think what we have to do is kind of invest in one another and like put each other on and vouch for each other. And regardless of what, because there's a fear, right? Like you're vouching for someone or you're doing some of the stuff that you guys are doing as the three of you is really important and powerful because I think when you do that, that's more important than if you're just sitting in a room by yourself. I think that goes really far because that's what like generationally people have done. And that's why like, it's interesting that you're hearing that in the women's conversation because um, we just had a women's summit that Queen Latifah was actually moderating. It was amazing. I was like, in Richmond? It was great. Um, and it was really interesting because we were talking a lot about that and kind of like this place at the table and, Figuring out how to empower one another actually is the question we should be like, what are we looking at? As opposed to worrying about the perception. Because people believe what you tell them. That's that's a fact. People believe what you tell them um, first. And then in the second, they believe what you show them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yep. But, yep, exactly. but, but initially, like my thought process, so let me go ahead and get mine off, get mine off on this real quick. Uh, I feel like there's so many things that not just women, not just like athletes, not just like um, race, gender, anything that you want to say. Uh, I'm on a board right now. I just got put on the board. Let's give a small clap for me getting on the board. Yay! Board membership. <laughs> Go ahead, Chase. Go ahead, bro. I'm on the board for inclusion, community, and diversity for my. Uh, uh, elementary and middle school here in Lexington, which is a private school, mostly white kids, um, upper scale, upper class, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I'm the only black person on the board. But I think it's important for me to, to at least put my opinion and my voice into it and also learn what is the new, like, what is the new, like, inclusion and what is the new, like, exclusion amongst kids these days. And, you know, it's more, like, instead of, like, race and gender, it's more like identity. Like um, you know, LBG community and things of that nature, and it just makes me think to the fact of like when I was coming up, we didn't have to worry about we we that's the last thing that even I didn't even know nothing about no none of those acronyms LBGTQR you know what I'm saying I ain't know nothing about none of that <laughs> but um you know but I could see color you know what I'm saying so I always knew I was you know sticking out I was a, I was a, I was definitely sticking out amongst the amongst the people. But I didn't feel like I got treated any different, um, but it's a it's something that's there. So um, essentially, you have the things like you know, typical black kid in a white white school. Like uh, I used to have like braids and like afro and things like that, and you got the let me touch type situation, um, <laughs> that that type stuff. Um, but essentially, I feel like everybody somehow, some way is fighting some type of perception from another person when they first meet them, whether you're old, white, and somebody's saying, like, oh, yeah, they got everything given to them. They haven't worked for anything. Or you're an athlete, and you're trying to do business, and they're like, what do you know about business? You've been – you need to stick to, you know, sports, stick to what you've done. 
or if you're a woman in a male environment, um, you don't have the toughness or the the whatever they need to be successful in this space. Like somebody somehow, some way is perceiving you in a way that is going to be biased to however they've been raised or what they've seen in society and culture. Um, and at the end of the day, it comes down to what Mary is what you tell them you are and what you show them you are after that to just to, to, um, to depict that perception. So um, I really think it comes down to us at the end of the day and it might be true or it might be false, but they're entitled to have that. I feel like, am I wrong? Are they entitled to have their own thought process? I mean, how can they deny that thought process? I mean, we're going to give everybody a fair shot, I guess, but at the end of the day, how can you deny what you've been born in and raised in and you've seen on TV your whole life. I don't think necessarily people needed to deny it. I mean, some things like uh, if you're still living in the past of slavery, we might age just deny that. Like, you gotta work on yourself. But as far as, that's what I say, you know, first impressions are so important. I mean, it, it, it's kind of hard. You know, you're hard. That's how your brain, your brain's hardwired to group things in order to store all the information that comes at it. So I think the problem comes is when you act negatively on it without giving the person a fair chance. So if you see somebody that you think, you know, I don't know if they're going to be the greatest person, the greatest worker, because of whatever bias that you've had or grown up with or even, you know, I've seen, but you still, you know, if they interview good and they don't give you any reason when you meet them to not give them a chance, but you don't give them a chance because of what happened in the past, I think that's where it's a problem. But you know, if if you're giving them a shot, hey, if, if they go through the steps and they prove that they're qualified and you right. give them that opportunity, then I don't think it's a problem to have that bias going in because that, I mean, it can be a slippery slope when you say, you know, that's just how humans are. Um, but in reality, that is how we see the world. I mean, that, that's just how our brains are truly hardwired is to beat people. So like I said, I think, I, you know, you can get down a slippery slope that way. But still, I mean, if you don't act on a negative way, I don't think it's an issue. I don't think we're hardwired, hardwired to have biases. I think we learn them. So not, not biases. So hardwired, we're hardwired to group things in the category. So there's, yeah, there's yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what, yeah. So it, 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 it's, a, you know, it, it's a different way you can say a stereotype, but you know, in humans, we create our own stereotypes, but we're hardwired to group things, but we, yeah, exactly. we create stereotypes. Those are not like natural groups. I I think this is a big reason why education is so important because the only way you're going to learn this is being around people from different races. And the only time different races, different cultures, different ethnicities. And typically the only time you're around that is involving some type of education, whether it's high school where you got people coming from different neighborhoods because most of our neighborhoods aren't diverse. You know what I'm saying? Like, Philly, like, like, I mean, me pretty much growing up, I pretty much lived in a black neighborhood, went to white schools, so I saw my diversity, you know what I'm saying, playing sports and going to school and then coming home. But most people, so, like, you living, you live in a neighborhood, and then you're with your people, and the only time you're going to see people from the opposite side of the city is at school. And then, like, in college, the only time, that might be the only time, you know, you live with an Asian person right next to you. You know what I'm saying? People, you know, so you learn so much 
not even in the classroom, but just being around different cultures and education brings that all together. So that way, when we get older and we are the people that matter, it's like we, we those biases, I'm not going to say aren't there because, you know, I don't think they'll 100% ever be gone, but we can actually like, we can relate to each other on, on some type of different level. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, well, just on a better, on a more fundamental level, because we've been with so-and-so before, whereas our parents and our grandparents didn't have that because let's, let's be real. Slavery, the, the civil war ended in 1865, which is like, so that's like pretty much just got done being living history. Right. We're 150 years. You know what I'm saying? So on a chronological, like timeline of like history is we're not that far. I, I feel like we are moving kind of fast. We're just living through it. You know what I'm saying? It hasn't even been 200 years. So, like, I feel like we are making progress, and I think that the big part of the progress is education. Think about it. Uh, when was the, Mary, when was the last uh, school in Virginia desegregated? Like in the 70s or something like that? Yeah. I mean, let's just keep it real. Jim Crow yeah. walked in until, what, what, the mid-60s, 65, 66-ish? Jim Crow law then? Yeah. That's not, so, current, yeah. So currently, exactly. right now, actually, actually, the governor, the governor of Virginia, is look is it has a commission that's sifting through all of our laws and pulling out like Jim Crow laws and all this other stuff to try to change them. It is an absurd amount. <laughs> it's like, wait, I'm sorry, what is what is still in law? And so there's a lot of that still, yeah, in law. Um, there's like we've I mean, already cataloged like hundreds. Yeah. All right. Yeah, to your point, Don, about history, I mean, not even just history, but education, I think a big part is also telling the full story. I think our, well, not my grandparents, my grandparents got a whole different one. Um, but like, you know, the generations before in America, I think it was like, yeah, writing it, but like, honestly, I know you guys don't see yourselves in your history book. Um, and I'll put a plug in right now for Shout out to Virginia for finally doing this. Um, we are building the first monument to enslaved laborers in Virginia or at UVA, and it's going to be like on, the, like on the other side of the lawn. And there's a whole, you know, there's a whole implication for that. But it's like a lot of that that's happening, right? That kind of, if you think about uh, slaves and you think about the contributions that African Americans have made throughout history, it's different than thinking about just slavery and just thinking about how this is awkward and like awful and we don't want to talk about it. And we don't even want to talk about the fact that like we do this to like black athletes and how like there's a lack of representation in coaches and administrations and ownership of NFL teams, all that. We don't want to talk about that. That's uncomfortable. But you know what I mean? It's kind of also changing that narrative because you're kind of putting the power back in contributions and like how important it is to so, like, you know, it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. Um, and we don't know much of the history because we don't get told that. We get told the history of 1,700 different Confederate soldiers that died halfway through the war. Like, I, you know, it's things like that. You're just like, what? What is happening? Yeah. I mean, I, I just think education is such a big key. I mean, I think all of us went to have similar backgrounds of schooling and I mean, to your point of you don't know, you don't know. When I came to college, I met people and I was like, you didn't learn what? 
And it's just like, I mean, it, it, it was obviously a culture shock to me to see how some schools just felt, just gloss over a long period of time in history or, yeah. or any subject, to be honest. You know, an interesting fact is the fact is like, it's, it's learned the wrong way. Like, this is not in, right. this, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you just didn't put, if let's just say you didn't put any of that stuff and we didn't learn any of that, I think we'd be better off. You know what I'm saying? If we were, That's true. I think we'd be better off. Almost dumber, to be honest with you. Um, when, we wait, when we jump out of the womb, there's no issues, right? Like everybody, cool. It usually comes from the parents. Anything that 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 goes down to the kids usually comes from the parents. Um, and that's one of the things that I brought up in our first board meeting was the fact of like, yo, it ain't these kids. I'm gonna be honest with y'all. It ain't these kids. It's these parents. And the parents are in putting things and implying things to these kids. On a on a on just like they might be uninherited or like not uninherited but like unknowingly like putting their biases onto them. And that's how it continues. Yeah. Up. You know what I'm saying? Like okay. that's where it is to me. I mean, it's not only intentional. It, it could be as simple as, oh no, we don't go down that or see that neighborhood. You know, they might not mean anything by it, but it just takes a picture like, oh, well, what kind of people in that neighborhood? Or all those kind of people bad? Like, especially if you go to a school where, where you don't have bad people in your school, you're kind of like, well, you know, when are you ever going to see them until you get older and then you have that ingrained in your head? And it's like just a small kid about a fest or something that wasn't intentionally supposed to be harmful. Thanks. Well, I think yeah. you're wrong. It's generally meant to be harmful. Like, I think you give a lot of people. Right. Well, I guess harmful is the best word. I mean, you know, this is a tremendous conversation. We can go down the rabbit hole. This is a tremendous That's his favorite word, boy. Tremendous. Tremendous? Yeah, it's tremendous. He likes to say it. We can start a count. We can say tremendous. And Mary, I was going to say, uh, what do you say? Brilliant. I'm going to say uh, spectacular. I was just playing. I just thought we was over here just going to keep going. <laughs> I know. I, I thought we were too. I thought we were too. I was waiting for oh, so Hold on. Go. It was my turn again? Yeah. Yes. And then I was like, I don't want to be oh, too thirsty, but I'm really into it because I got a lot of, I got a story. You can do this. Yeah. So. <laughs> I thought we were just over here throwing off our vocabulary. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know. I was ready. <laughs> I was ready. Hey man, no, I ain't gonna lie, man. I I kind of I kind of went back to watching football, man, because I was still hot about me and Chase's conversation, man. So I I just wanted to make sure you was on the podcast. Yeah, I had that boy tight. He called me. He called me four hours later on the same topic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know he's mad when he was like. You know he's mad then. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know he's mad. He just called you back like, wait, so. I was just thinking. I was like, no, you've been thinking about it for four hours. Yeah. I was at a concert and everything. I know it was super loud on the phone. He was still talking. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, hey, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. It's all good, man. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but, Mary, we appreciate you jumping on this podcast, giving us this good conversation. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, you might be auditioning for the third spot. You know, we we, we got a guy that's been slipping here recently. So we appreciate you joining us. I mean, <laughs> I, I am going to ask that. Right, 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 right
I came early. I came early to the podcast. I had fire questions today, and this is how y'all go to the I want to today, man. I want polls. Not we got to get some polls going on on the podcast, dog. I need, I need to start ranking my performance, man. I want the people. You hear me? I need the people to get a little more out rank. He do. But yeah, I'll sit here talking about how I was on top. It's not a good look. I was late the last few podcasts. I'm not gonna lie. So don't, don't, don't look to these episodes in confession. You know what I'm saying? I think. You know what? I'll, I'd be happy to play second chair to anyone. I'll do it. Right, well, we appreciate that. Cause call you know, me whenever. I'll show up. On we did, well, don't, don't say that because we did call you one time. You definitely did not show up. That is okay, true. Okay, to be fair, to be uh, fair, you gave me an hour heads up. That was downfall. Hey, we figured that, that was downfall. Yeah, and I was like, I'm sorry, Don. Yeah, and I was in the middle. Like, no, no, no. Can we call you whenever, or do we have to have the hour, two hours notice? What is? No, you can officially call me whenever. Okay, see whenever. Now we're whenever, guys. So if we you can officially to... call me whenever. I'll pour a glass of wine. It'll be great. If Max decides that he don't want to come to the podcast or something like that, then we'll we'll jump you on as a guest host. Um, but um, in general, it'd be great. It's another episode of Who's Where. I think we're the only people in the in the. Uh, podcast industry that's bringing a UBA alumni segment to the to the industry. Um, so we're going to I need, think so. I think we're going to need you guys to support us, you know, listen, download, rate, um, leave comments. Um, we do this for free. And, and can you can we please re- reward consistency? I believe this might be episode 100. I think Miriam might be episode 100. Oh, what? Wow, this is crazy. Wow. Can we can we can we reward consistency? Yeah, man. Can we reward consistency, man? Um, I mean, 100 episodes. That's 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 over. That's over. Uh, no, that's almost it's almost two years. We coming up on two years here. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, every every Friday, uh, every uh, every Sunday, we here on the podcast. You know, not knowing what, not knowing what we're gonna talk about, coming organically, but hopefully, you know, we're able to. Um, provide some insight to somebody eventually, either it's an athlete coming up, entrepreneur wants to get started, um, anybody that's at UVA that's, you know, looking at different careers. And, you know, something something's good going to come out of being consistent. I'm a big believer that only, the only way to succeed is to stay consistent. The only way to succeed is to stay consistent, man. So, man, can you, can you let people know where they can reach you at, how they can get in touch with you, and yeah, we appreciate you being on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. So I will say that I'm currently rebranding. Basically, help me. <laughs> um, but I am Miriam Karaka on Instagram, also on Twitter the same way. And then um, you can also just email me if you'd like. Um, my email is first name without last name. That did I give you the government? It doesn't matter. It's either governor.virginia.gov or you can email me at gmail. Um, I'll answer those. Awesome. So anybody out there aspiring to, to um, you know, be like Miriam or yeah. please reach out to her. I'm sure she would be more than happy to uh, mentor. So um, <laughs> maybe not mentor, but, you know, answer, answer a couple questions. No, I'm happy to. I'm happy to help however I can. 
All right, cool. Uh, Casey, Max, I'll bring my time up. Max, we're going to give you a, a, another shot at the gas, man. We done gave you off like four weeks on the gas. Oh, man. Yeah, the week today. I got y'all. I got y'all. You're four weeks. You know what I'm saying? I done did you. I got y'all. I got y'all. All right, Max. Yeah, so come, you know, wrap it up, Casey. Hell, I'm going to come with that 93. You jump into it too quick. You got to, you know what I'm saying? You got to really take a deep breath. You know what I'm saying? Stand up. Stand up. And let's deliver something that has some value on it we can take home. Okay, go ahead. All right, y'all ready for this? All right, I'm going to come back to you today. This is something that I heard that, you know, I really do follow by, and that's destiny is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. And what that means is I'm a firm believer in that everything happens for a reason. But make that reason for things happening in your life is because you're out there pounding the pavement and getting it done. That's the time when, you know, the good blessings will come to you because you're really out there. So if you just out there sitting, waiting, hoping like, man, something is just going to happen just because, then, then that's where you're going to be wrong. So make sure y'all get out there, do what you got to do, and good things will happen. And we out. today's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and follow us on Instagram at CTC Podcast. Catch you next week.